Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. My next interview today is with Crystal Earl. You are going to really uh, enjoy this interview on a whole lot of levels. Crystal and I have known each other uh, a long time. We met a few years ago at a, a youth leadership event, I believe, in Niagara Falls. And we're, we, we've been talking about something like this for quite some time. And, and, and her mission is to help you change your story. And so we're going to talk about how she, at some point in her life, she had to decide what she had to believe. We're going to talk about new opportunities and we're going to talk about how we're kind of shamed into asking, you know, new uh, questions. And we're going to talk a little bit about her. She, she talks about her strongest currency. I love this. Her strongest currency being her ability to create social change. And we're going to talk about why, you know, and how love wins all the time. Check her out online. You're going to, the bio is there. The links are there. Uh, her book Resonate. And don't forget to go to davidpecklive.com. My book is there, uh, along with about 150 other interviews. But for now, focus in on Crystal and um, listen up. Well, welcome to Face to Face, and we are joined by another very special guest today. Crystal Earl is here today, Your Brilliance Unlimited. I think it's yourbrilliantsunlimited.com. I'm sure we're going to get back to that in a minute. Crystal's uh, a speaker. She's a writer. Uh, we've, we've, we've worked together in a few events. We're, we're going to find out a little bit more about her, but let's first get to thanks for joining us. Thanks, thanks for coming today, Crystal. Thank you, David. I'm so excited to be here. It makes it sound like we're actually face-to-face, like we're actually in the same room <laughs> together, but we're so not. It's just it's such a lie. My, my podcast is just one big lie, Crystal. It's, <laughs> it's called Face-to-Face, and I rarely see anybody that I interview face-to-face. So it's, well, I, should, I should have popped a picture of you up on my screen, so right. at least I felt like I was talking. Yeah, at least, at least in Skype, you get like some sort of cryptic photo of somebody or, exactly. or, or maybe a, bl- a blurry image. Um, so, 
so you've written a book called Resonate. Uh, we're going to talk about that, I'm sure. Uh, Learn to love your story is the, the quote on, on, on your Twitter page. What the heck? So you're a social entrepreneur, clearly, but tell mm -hmm. me more about what you do. Um, well, currently, right now, I am a... It's such a funny thing, right? Because it's like you want to have that little handy-dandy little elevator pitch. Yes. Um, <laughs> I don't believe I in am, elevator pitches, I by know. the way. I think they're lies. <laughs> So difficult. Um, through my work with Your Brilliance Unlimited, I uh, I consult and coach. I work with uh, with clients with nonprofits and some some different organizations uh, and individuals around changing the stories that they're telling themselves and the world. Um, and that comes also through I do. I'm a professional speaker and have trained a lot of speakers over the years. And um, and then I'm a writer, and so I create a lot of content and uh, have some community online. And my book, Resonate, came out at the end of 2014, and it's about how we can change the stories that we tell ourselves about what's possible for us to create in the world. So do you, do you mean change, when you say change the story, do you mean uh, the, the way we think about ourselves and then therefore go on to do great things? Or, or, or do you mean about sort of just the way we, I guess, the way we see the world, and maybe they're both intimately connected. I'm not sure. Mm, yeah, good question. Well, you know, it's, stories are a funny thing because we are surrounded by them all the time, right? Like, you know, for example, if I was to say, if we were face-to-face, -face, David, I yes. would say, uh, you know, i say, well, you know, I'll give you one word. I'll give you the word father. And immediately, neither you, like you nor I nor anyone is ever going to have the same thing that comes to mind when they hear the word father because we all have a different experience. We all have a different story around the word father based yes. on our experience, uh, a story that we tell ourselves of what a father is. You know, I had, I had a, fabu I had a fabulous dad. Um, so my stories around my dad are, you know, they, re they revolve around feeling protected and, and different things. But for someone else, they could be very different stories. And so the stories we tell ourselves about, you know, Seth Godin says we're always telling stories, right? But the, the most powerful stories are the ones that we tell ourselves. And uh, those are the ones that we are the only people that decide what the stories are going to be. And when we go, as we go through things in our lives, inevitably, we come upon experiences and we decide what we're going to believe about those experiences because the experience in and of themselves is truthfully just a neutral thing. It just happens we decide the importance you're going to assign to it. So is there, is there, I mean, while you're chatting, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking cognitive based therapy. Is there, mm -hmm. is there a connection in, in a way to this idea? Cause I know that CBT and I've done some mm -hmm. myself is mm -hmm. kind of about, it's not, it's not changing your story, but I guess it kind of is in a sense because we all have our story. It's just, I think CBT says, David, you're having a tough time really getting to the real story. You've, you've, you've told yourself a bunch of these lies. Like, as you mm -hmm. were talking about this notion of father, right? If we come out of an yeah. abusive relationship, well, that's, we're going to have a horrible idea of what it means to totally. be a father or yeah. what a father is or what a dad means and so on. So, so, so is that what you're really trying to, like, is there, is there sort of a therapeutic aspect to this as well? I, think, I mean, there's a yeah. couple of questions in there. Sure. Sure, I think there is, and I by by no means am I I'm I'm a licensed coach, but I'm not a therapist. Right. But I do, yeah. So I do some cognitive based coaching with with clients, yes. But you know, it's more when I when I see changing our story, it's more like um, the idea of 
we can't change the past, obviously. Mm-hmm. We and the, the future is yet to be determined, but we can act into what we want our story to be about. So, you know, changing our story is literally about the about transitioning and transforming it into what we want it to become. You know, because we are um for example, there were some really great studies. There's a really awesome book that I highly recommend called Redirect. It's by Timothy Wilson, I think it's his yeah, name. Yeah, Redirect. Um, yeah, and uh, in this book, and this is a perfect example, and I was so excited when I, when I read this book because it had been, uh, it, it was scientific-based evidence for what I have been working on for a long time. Um, he talked about, for example, one of the things that they used with, um, in a, over a series of years of trying to help uh, young, women, young women at risk that were marginalized, some marginalized um, maybe families and neighborhoods to help them um, uh, prevent teenage pregnancy, if, you know, if, to not become a statistic of something mm-hmm. and of, of, their, of their experience. Now, those, those girls are often in those situations. They are coming from backgrounds of um, there's not a lot to aspire to. They're, they're, they're held back in a lot of ways. Maybe they have had no... Um, no experience previous to becoming a teenager about understanding the value of who they are. There's, there's a whole bunch of stuff around that. And what they found was when they were that there's a lot of programs that, that are able, that have been in place for a long time, everything from the, you know, kind of scare the hell out of you about like, this is what, mm. this is what's going to happen if you become a teenager or if you become a, a teenage parent and you're not ready for it. Um, you know, all, and all these different ways about pregnancy prevention but what they found was the most long-term amazing result with these, with these young girls was having them experience um, two things in particular, having a mentor, someone in right. their lives that yep. was patterning, helping them pattern what their life wanted, what they wanted their life to look like. And amazingly and surprisingly, getting them involved in uh, really linked into a volunteer program in the community that gave them ownership in it and helped them to hmm. begin to realize that they didn't have to become a product of where they'd come from. So it was literally like shifting. So yeah, it is like cognitive behavioral therapy, right? But it was literally helping them shift how they saw what was possible for them to create. And there's that, there's that beautiful um, tipping point that we all have the power to create in our lives. And it's not, it's not like a one, it's it's not a one-off thing, right? It's incremental change. And you and I, in a previous conversation, were talking about how we make incremental change in our lives all the time. And, Changing and, and transforming your story is about recognizing that there's something more than mm. what you believe to be possible, but um, giving yourself the grace to realize and, and journey into what it can be, if that makes if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, I've got so many places I want to go. I mean, I'm thinking modern <laughs> existentialism here. I'm thinking you're way too positive for my liking, Crystal. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, okay, you've read The Secret one too many times, you know? Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I don't. I, I don't think that's true, right? Because no. like, I think I, you and I have, have worked at a couple of events over the years, and I don't yeah. know you really well. But but there's a there's a. I I feel like there's a dose of reality to this that might oh, be totally. not yeah. a part of a lot of, you know, the power of positive thinking kind of stuff. Yeah. The whole Anthony Robbins like appeal yeah. and the secret appeal. Like, you know what I, you know I mean? What I mean? Totally. Like, and I mean, I I am definitely a glasses half full person by nature. Right. Yeah. You know what Woody Allen says, right? And I'm sure I've said this before, but the glass is half full of poison. That's what Woody (laughs) Allen says. Yeah. Woody (laughs) Allen would say that. That's right. (laughs) 
you know, like, so, okay, so let me just give you a little background on that, on my experience and, and how it all kind of played out in, in a few ways for me. Just to, if you want, do you want me to share? Yeah, that? yeah, go. Yeah, yeah good. Okay. Well, I think, I mean, we're talking about story, right? Let's, yeah, let's hear a bit of yours. So uh, seven years ago, I, um, I, well, 10 and a, what are we, 2016, 16 years ago, I uh, was co-founder of a charity. It's called Live Different. It's based out of Hamilton, mm-hmm. doing really great things. But um, one of the, the big p- parts of what we did and what I created in Live Different was um, a social uh, humanitarian program mm. where uh, youth and young adults, and, and now there's a lot of variety of groups, um, work in developing countries in communities, partnering with communities to build schools and houses and children's homes. And by no means do did we ever think we were saving the world, but it was about building significant relationships both mm-hmm. ways that were beneficial for both sides of the equation. Um, and in 2009, I stumbled into um, an adoption. Uh, mm. A little girl that I knew from a, a community, um, and I wasn't a parent at that point, uh, had uh, she was orphaned, and she was from a, a community that I, I was working with, the people there that were um, largely stateless Haitian people working in a garbage dump. And so this began this journey where uh, my husband and I, my husband at the time, him and I were ready to, uh, we were going to adopt this, this girl and we were going to have, uh, it was going to be a, a quick adoption turnaround. It was, we were going to get an emergency visa and we'd started everything, um, started the process and the Ontario government stepped in and said, no, you need to do an adoption the right way. So, okay, we started doing everything with the home studies. And in 2010, uh, I was on a quick in Denmark, and I'm sitting in a Turkish shawarma place in Copenhagen, Denmark, <laughs> eating shawarma. I know so random. I was touring in a high school um, with on a high school tour with a team because that's what that's what we were doing in Canada as well. Mm-hmm. And um, and sitting in the shawarma place, you know how they always have TVs up in the corner of shawarma places, right? And uh, and we're eating, and I can see on the screen that all this like destruction has just happened, and I can I can't read anything because it's all in Danish except this one word at the bottom that said Haiti, and I was like, oh mm. my gosh. And so I ran back to where I was staying, and I, and I called, and sure enough, the earthquake had happened. And um, so everything was propelled forward really quickly. Um, and uh, so I, I went to Dominican because with Lean, my, my daughter had been born in Dominican. And um, when I got to Dominican, I thought they were, there was like all these airlines from over the world. We were fast-tracking all these adoptions. We are partnering with countries, and uh, we were in line to get this done. And so I thought I was going to be in Dominican Republic. This was in July and January of 2010. I thought I was going to be there for two weeks. And on my third day, and I, this little girl's four years old. I haven't known, I really don't know her because I, I, I didn't have custody of her until everything happened so quickly. Uh, she didn't speak English and I didn't mm. speak Creole. And uh, she was in shock over everything that just happened in her life. And I was in shock over the fact that I just became a parent. Right. And, um, and three days into getting there, I uh, went on actually the CBC news site and found out that uh, there's a group of American uh, people, uh, quote unquote missionaries, that uh, got busted for trafficking children out of Haiti. Wow, I, and, I remember, I remember yeah, the story. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the next morning, the UN shut down everything going in and out of Haiti for wow. any adoptions. So then I faced, then here I was now with this child that I didn't have full custody to. Had, and every paper that we had was declared invalid. And mm. um, and then a few months later, um, the wheels just began to fall off. And within another year and a half, um, my husband and I actually split up. And so we were raising uh, with Lane together. But in the middle of all that, um, everything uh, just is still unresolved to this day. I, I commute every two weeks. I live between Toronto and Dominican Republic. 
And in the middle of all that, when my life was completely in shambles and uh, I didn't know what was up because I was so angry. I was like, I didn't know who to be. I was angry at God, at myself, whatever, right? Like this was so not part of the plan. Like has anybody noticed that I've given my life to like saving people and like the poor and all these things, you know? Like you just feel so totally ripped off. And and I had to decide what I was going to believe. That's that's really what it came down to. Mm. I had to decide because it, it didn't just, it wasn't just about the situation. It was calling into question everything that mm-hmm. I believed about myself. You know, you when you experience the um, the death of a relationship that doesn't end the way you want, you question. You know, you have all those questions about like, am I worth it? Am I mm-hmm. um, am I worth loving? Am I you know? And when other things happen, you question, am I good enough? Do I deserve this? Am I am I worth enough? And so when I when I talk about uh, when I talk to to clients and to audiences, and and we work through like determining what your story is going to believe, what what story you're going to believe about what's possible, it, be, it comes down often to the question of just questioning what you're what you're willing to believe mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. about who you are and and where sure where you came from, but like what's possible from this point forward? Because whether or not we 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 can we recognize it, this this moment is a fresh start, like. You know, so your past is your past, but that the only person that decides what's going to, how much weight that past is going to hold is us, right? Like every, every day is a new opportunity, but, um, and not at the risk of sounding so airy fairy about mm-hmm. it, but it's, it's, it's true, true, right? Yeah. Because it, it really is, it's about a mindset and it's about what you're willing to set your why mind didn't, on. Um, so why, why, so, so lots of tragedy, lots of change, lots of upset. Why didn't you cocoon? Um, I did for a while. Okay. I, I did, which is so not my personality. That anybody that knows me, like, and and even when I look back at pictures of myself, and I was like, I hardly recognize myself because wow. I just you go through this state of shock when your world just like goes into shambles. You have this this um, it's like a tumble. I don't know if you've ever been surfing, but like, I have actually. Of, yeah. If you've ever been tumbled in a wave, have you ever had that happen? And and you you come up and you're like <gasps> at first you're just glad you can breathe and you yeah you and me you got over the shock of like losing your bikini somewhere back in the ocean and and then you're like that's um, happened to me several times <laughs> leaving my bikini in the ocean it's a horrible, yes it's a horrible it's feeling. a horrible feeling yeah yeah <laughs> um, but you come up and you're just like <gasps> what just happened and and that was how I felt for a while and I and I think I um and you have moments where partly the grace for me was the fact that I had a, a child and. Every day I just realized, man, I just have to put one foot in front of the other. And you just, you rebuild slowly, step by step. And it's, it's beautiful and painful and awesome and horrible all in one thing. Yeah. So, so what, so, um, hmm. I don't, I don't want the simple solution, the, the, the <laughs> pill or the injection yeah. that, you know, you took or you needed or whatever. But yeah. I mean, was it, was it friends? Was it a community? Were there people that you were able to rely on? I mean, I, sometimes I, I work pretty much in a silo for the most part. I'm a consultant. Mm-hmm. I sp- you know, it's tough. And then I get into a group of people and I, I forget how invigorating that is. Yeah. You know, the, uh, being able to, to just sort of hang out and brainstorm and complain and commiserate and just, hang, just I don't know, just be with others, I suppose, yeah. right? And, and, yeah. and so is that how you survived, would you say? Is that how you got yeah. through? I would definitely say that. I, um, there was a couple of key people in my life in particular that, were, um, that had been my friends through the whole thing. And in respect to, um, respect, in respect to going through a divorce, uh, my, my former husband and I are actually really, we have a great relationship. So there's, that's not it. But um, having 
um, having friends who in that respect were like, they loved you, but they, they loved you because of who you are, not what they, right. want, not what they want you to become. And, yeah. you know, I am, I'm from a, a faith background, like a Christian faith background. And so my faith obviously played into a lot about my ultimate belief in, um, in, in, in good and mm-hmm. in, you know, the, in, in the bigger picture. Um, but within that, everything I believe was, was really put to the test. And on the other side, it's kind of like you go through this like wash and spin cycle and you get tossed mm-hmm. out the dryer mm-hmm. and you're mm-hmm. like, I don't know. Um, I, I began to realize that I had made assumptions about what I thought I deserved, what I, right. you know, right. you know, and crazy, you know, David, it's a crazy question. I remember being in the middle of this and, you know, I, here I am, I'm stranded in Dominican Republic and anybody else would be like, whoa, tough thing. Like, whoa, mm-hmm. is you, right? Yeah, you're <laughs> breaking my heart. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Go look, go look for your bikini in the ocean, will you? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but this had become to, it had, you know, at the, at the time it had represented like just so many of my, my dreams and, and I was grieving, uh, when you, when your life takes a hard left and, and, you know, like, it's almost like you grieve what you never thought was going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. when you experience a death, I, I lost my brother when he was 20, and grieving a death is you grieve what you had because you can remember, you know, there's all those memories, and it was, they were all good. Like, my brother, you know, he's very much alive in my memory. But when you experience the, the death of a relationship and of a future you thought you were going to have, it's like you have to you have to grieve letting go of a dream that you you thought was yours to hold on to. Right. And it's almost like this entitlement you get around what you think your life should be. And and I remember being in this Dominican village. We were I was still working with the different at the time and I we were working in this in this community. And um there was this amazing woman and I, I had gone to talk to her because we were getting ready to build a house with her in this community and she was a, a Dominican woman who'd taken in four. She's a grandma. She had taken in four kids. Um, they were all AIDS orphans, and uh, none of them were even like her biological family. And two of them were Haitian, which is really unheard of in many communities in Dominican Republic. There's a lot of racial tension, and um, and I just remember having this conversation with this woman. And you know when you have a conversation with someone and you're talking to them, but there's an entire conversation going on in the back of your mm-hmm. head <laughs> at the same time. And I was having this conversation and it was like this, it was about six months after the, uh, the ass had fallen out of my life <laughs> mm. and, um, and realizing uh, that as she's talking, it was just like this light just went on and, I had been saying for so long, I'd been asking myself the wrong question. I'd been asking, why me? And when mm-hmm. we ask the mm-hmm. wrong question, you know, and we always want to ask questions. I mean, mm-hmm. questions are how we, you know, we're, we're, seek- we're always seeking for answers. But I'd been asking all these questions that were, were causing me to pull in. Why me? What did I do? Right. And it was all, it was all finger pointing questions. And as that woman was talking, I thought, why not me? Why was I, why am I so scared of having to let go of what I thought my future should be. Like, I wonder, I wonder what's possible if I could let go of this. And it began this whole quest for me where I feel like I began to just um, spiral up back out of things. And, Hmm. you know, and asking, asking questions is, oh man, it's such a powerful tool. I always think of questions like a way, you know, the questions that we ask are always going to create the direction of where we're thinking. You know, it's like, um, for example, when you're, when I, 
I, I took driver training and I remember one of the things in my driver training was they were so adamant about at nighttime when you're driving and there's another car coming towards you, whatever you're focused on, you're going to, you're going to drive towards. So don't, don't look into the lights of that yes. car coming yes. towards you. Right? Yeah. Focus I remember on... that lesson too. Yeah. yeah. Like lo- look to the, what is it? The white line on the right side look of the road. To the, look to the bottom right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Follow yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That, yeah. That. that isn't that fascinating. That's one yeah. of the things that really stands out for my driver yeah. training too. And, uh, and it's, that's such a, that's a major life lesson, right? Yeah. yeah sure. wherever, wherever you're focusing, you're going to start to drive your life towards, you're going to start to live into and, um, and so when we keep on asking ourselves these questions about like, why me, what did I do? Well, we're focusing, we're looking over our shoulder, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. you're looking over your shoulder. You can only shoulder check when you're driving. Like it's, you know, like that's a dangerous place to be if you're trying to move forward by looking over your shoulder. And as like that, that, you know, that is so true to our lives. And in that moment, when I was standing in that community and it sounds so melodramatic, but it really was that singular moment that I can point back to when it was like, I actually began to change the quality of the questions that I was asking mm. myself. Hmm. And it just began to change how I, how I viewed everything. How do, so, so how does somebody, I mean, how does, what it, so first of all, what is the question, right? If it wasn't why me, what was the question? And then as if you can reduce it to one, but yeah. uh, how do you ask better questions? I mean, I've often said you can tell a lot about a person by the nature of the questions they ask. Mm-hmm. I mean, philosophy is my background. I, yeah. I, it's, it is about the question, right? It is about, it totally is. And, and yet I think a lot of philosophers, I actually think have erred on the side of, of, of the, the solution, you know, they've, they've tried to cram their philosophy into some mm-hmm. sort of mathematical framework that says right. this is the way it is. And this is why I love, I love what you're thinking. I mean, you are an existentialist. I mean, you are all about the future. You are all about yeah. possibility. You are all about decisions and about taking steps and moving mm-hmm. forward and understand, but, and you know, that's Kierkegaard, right? Move forward, yeah. understand by looking backward. And so, so how do you ask better questions? How the hell do you ask better questions? <laughs> how the hell do you ask better questions? <laughs> Oh, questions are such beautiful, beautiful things. You know, like we, um, oh, I lost when you were talking. I was so lost. I was like, oh, I love Kierkegaard when you said that. (laughs) (laughs) I invoke Kierkegaard whenever I can. Yes, Kierkegaard, Pascal, and Plato. Those, you know. Well, okay, so here's here's what, um, here's something that I've come to discover when when I've talked with people and been in coaching conversations and all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, from the time that we are little, we, in, in our, um, in our, in our, I don't know, because you and I, I think have both grown up in a Western culture and our education comes from that. And it's beautiful on the one hand, because from the time that we were little, probably in grade two, I think was, uh, I remember story problems became the bane of my existence when I was a kid. Which, right? Sorry, which kind of problems? Story problems, math story oh, problems. Oh, I hate, those? I despise yeah. mathematics. Why do we need mathematics? Why do we need them? But, you know, <laughs> But one of the there's this one line in story problems solve the problem solve mm-hmm. the problem, and so um, from the time that we're little, it gives us the ability to obviously be strategic thinkers in terms of seeing something and, and seeing it as, as solvable. Um, but everything I, th- I think it, it causes us to almost create what what would you call it like um, like I don't know like a dichotomy in our thinking where it's like everything is either has to become a problem to solve or mm-hmm. it's a write off. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's like it, it becomes we become very um, black and white in our thinking, you know, like I, I, now there's a problem I got to solve. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and for me personally, first of all, I saw that in my life where everything became a problem that I needed to solve. And if I couldn't solve the problem, 
there was a panic that was rising in me because um, right. my my whole belief in what what was uh, you know around who I was was that I was able to solve problems and I was able to provide solutions for people. And coming to realize, so back to the, the idea of like how do we ask better questions, is that you know I began one of the questions I asked myself was I wonder um, I wonder who I who I would be without this worry, this stress, mm, <laughs> you know, nice, I wonder nice. who I'd be without yeah. this. And you know what, who I'd be was really awesome <laughs> yeah. without, without that, you know, and, and I, I, I began to see things as just even not being scared to ask questions that will lead to more questions. Like wh- why is it, where, I don't know, where, where in my life did I, did I think that questions without concrete answers were scary and too scary to ask, well, you know, yeah, but somewhere, yeah. Somewhere in, in my education and upbringing and my whole, even, you know, dare I say, like even my religious background, um, but it's true, right? It's, it's, almost it's, like, it's, a con- it's not any one thing, I don't think. I think it's, yeah, I think it's really, uh, what's the word? It's, it's, it's a cumulative problem, right? I mean, exactly. I've, I have a great quote the other day. Uh, some of the best, uh, hang on, let me see if I can get it. Some of the best pictures in the world were drawn with broken crayons. Ugh, Isn't yeah. that awesome? Yeah, so, so true. But we're not taught that, no. right? You're taught as a kid that you got to draw within the lines yeah. and that you need the right color for the right piece of art and it needs to be a sharp crayon. Don't use a broken crayon, right? Yeah. So yeah. use the broken ones to make candles, which is kind of a cool metaphor in its own right, yeah. I suppose. But at the same time, we're we're taught to color within the lines. Totally. Right? And it kind yeah. of sc- it screws us over on a variety of levels. It really does. <laughs> It does, and there's something so beautiful about an inquisitive mind that yep. we, um, and, uh, but we, I mean, you know, we kind of, we fashion our, our daily lives around not giving ourselves enough space to even ask that. You know, when kids are little, <laughs> Warren Berger, I don't know if you've ever read the book, A More Beautiful Question. Oh, I mm, love that book. I don't think I have. It's awesome. So he talks about how kids, up until from the ages of basically, you know, when, when kids, are what like some I mean some kids talk really early like 18 months or something but basically from you know between the ages of like two and five uh kids can ask their questions their parents questions I think it's like up to 100 100 questions a day and like a lot of parents would probably be like if you have kids that age you'd be like are you kidding it's got to be five times yeah yeah (laughs) but um so there's this cumulative number of like I don't know something like 100 what 50 140,000 questions that kids will ask in those in that basically three-year time frame of their lives. And, but by the age of five, the number of questions that children ask, according to the research, takes a crazy nosedive. It's a sharp, sharp, sharp decrease. Interesting. And, and interesting, right? So, um, and, and there's a few um, pretty solid theories that they have around why kids ask less questions. And obviously, that's when they start school. And they enter into an education system um, that, uh, but there's a couple of reasons that they, they've, they've put forward. And one is that um, between the ages of like two and five, children are with a trusted adult, right? They spend their day around a trusted adult. So whether that's like a parent or a caretaker that, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a high trust relationship there mm-hmm. with that adult. And so there's no filter. They're just, they're, there's no filter on how many questions they ask because they're just there's a freedom for them to be inquisitive, sure. yep. and there's no there's no repercussion yep. for the most part it's for good. asking questions. It's good because that's that's exactly what it is. You get your you you essentially learn that you get your hand slapped for asking questions. Well, I, totally. And, and 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 it's it happens in a variety of ways, right? Sure, 
Yeah. And I mean, obviously, like, you know, I, I, I haven't, I've worked in education for a long time, but I haven't been a teacher and especially not a, you know, in a primary classroom, like that's a lot of pressure on an adult, right? You've got 20 little humans that are always going to be asking questions. So you naturally have to create an order. Of course. Right. And, and so um, what's, what's uh, something that is, it's created to, you know, it's, it's a, a structure and a boundary put in place. Uh, but in a child's mind, that also makes questions, asking questions becomes an unsafe thing to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you can feel easily feel shame from asking questions or uh, feel like there's, you know, that it, it's not a, it's not a smart question or it's not a good enough question or that question's already been answered. So I've already said that three times. I've already answered that three times today. So don't ask that again. Right. You know, yeah. um, and it's, None of those things are, are, are bad or evil in, intrinsically. It's just that they become part of the story that we build around everything. And, um, and so the ability to ask ourselves better questions, I think it can save us a lot of pain <laughs> and, and take the pressure off of ourselves that, you know, maybe there isn't something to blame. Maybe crap just happens. And maybe I just, maybe I just need to be willing to see this, alter how I see this and uh, give myself grace and give the situation grace for what it can become rather than what I'm trying to make it be. So you talk about, about uh, your passion for, it sounds to me like this is my, these are my words, your passion for change, for social justice, mm-hmm. for, yeah. for innovative ways of turning the world upside down, I suppose, <laughs> for, for children, for, for uh, relationships. I mean, I hear a lot of that stuff. What, what would you say motivates you to do this kind of work? Um, ultimately I, you know, it's about, it's about values really, right? Because mm-hmm. I value, I value conversations like what we're having right now, but I, I value. Well, you, you, you said you, the, your line earlier was, uh, quote, I had to decide what I had to believe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So exactly. I mean, clearly values based, right? Yeah. And I, and ultimately I, um, I just love for me, my strongest currency is being able to create, I, I mean, I know this is so in line with what you're talking about, but it's the ability to be able to create social change in Mm. some way. Mm. And I, and I truly believe that, um, you know, change has to happen with how we, what we believe about what's possible for us first, you know, Mm. like I can't, I mean, I can try and it can work for a while. I can, you know, go out into the world with all the best of intentions and I'm going to change the world. But unless I'm willing to change how I see myself, first of all, I'm, it's like, I'm kind of not offering, I'm not, a, I'm not being, being the best version of myself possible. And so always, even in my work with the different, always it was, it was started because I really believe, um, and every time I've talked in, you know, high schools and I've talked to hundreds of thousands of students and university students and organizations, and um, it's always come back to the fact that we choose what we're going to believe about who we're going to, we, we choose who we become. Right. And, and that's the only thing I can control. And so that to me is like what fuels me. If I can empower and offer the inspiration for people along the way and help them make, you know, tangible steps towards that, those decisions and to creating what that future is going to look like for them, then um, that to me is like, man, it's just the the ultimate gift. (laughs) Do you think, so you're out speaking to a lot of young people. You, you you started an organization dealing with young people. Are you, Are you hopeful about where we're heading? I mean, in this Instagram-like world, do you do you think that um, young people today feel like they are sort of the author of their future? That they do have uh, this ability to drop the pebbles in the pond and watch, or or is it more yeah. of a passive kind of 
uh, do you think culture that that's being created and i and i guess what i'm talking about is the west mostly i mean we both traveled a lot in the global sure. south but mostly our our worlds i see our kids growing up around digital media and video yeah. games and uh, you, the ubiquitous access of the image and all the uh, i mean all this stuff sure. right what it and it's so so it's too soon to tell it's too soon know? to tell and you know and here here's my problem with people making um, judgment calls on a generation is because I don't think any generation can be looked at as a silo in and of itself, mm -hmm, right? Like it's mm -hmm, not, mm -hmm. it's, it's not like some separate entity that's out there floating, like right. millennials are just, you know, the, they're floating out there by themselves. Like there's a responsibility for us as the people who go before them to actually create like resonance that's in, for them to, you know, to, to grab onto. I mean, there's, you know, and this has come up so much, obviously in the last couple of years in particular, all the everything that's around bullying and mm, all the things mm -hmm. there's there's nothing new under the sun right an old age-old philosopher said that like i don't yes. know about you but like i don't know anybody who wasn't bullied at one point in time right the difference is now i think that we've we've um as the people have gone before them to a certain degree we have to take responsibility because we've relinquished the privilege that we've had that, that we have and the opportunity we have to actually um create space for that generation coming up behind and to mentor them and, and to actually take responsibility to help them learn how to structure a world around them that's going to help them become resilient. And um, if there's anything that, that's, that I think is, is maybe lacking, and this is kind of a harsh statement, but I feel like it's, we've not done our job to help create a resilient world for the, the, the generation coming up behind, you know, to give them opportunities to build resilience in their own lives. I love what you said earlier when you were talking about about um, this. I think you were talking about the, oh geez, I don't know what it was. The study uh, and and young women, um, yeah. um, two things: mentors and volunteer yeah. and volunteering. Yeah, and it, it's really interesting. I mean, it's it's. I mean, to, the, the link, the thread is there clearly. I mean, they're they're one. They're kind of one and the same. The mentors are volunteering. The volunteers are mentoring. Yeah, it's really totally. yeah. It's quite lovely. Yeah. It is, and, and you know, at, at no age in our lives do I think we ever, do we ever uh, not have a need to have multi-generational relationships, right? Because there's just so much that we can learn mm -hmm. at all from all from all generations before and after us. And um, so I, I I feel that I find myself and, and feel very privileged to work um, a lot with with millennials and with the upcoming generation. But um, more than that, I feel my, I, I feel very privileged to have such a wide variety of mm. people in my life and resources to draw from um, and to help, you know, along the way as well. Because I, I know I know now, I realize now that, you know, part of my story is that I have a lot to offer them at different places too a, a, along the journey. Are you, are you hopeful? I mean, it sure sounds like you are mm -hmm. about this crazy world we live in i mean you know you don't have to go too far to find out it it's, it's not looking that great yeah yeah <laughs> you know, I know. um in the, the country that i choose to spend most of my time in cambodia i continue to read some pretty difficult uh news you know pretty mm -hmm. much on a daily basis coming out of cambodia with respect to human rights and yeah and and uh, labor issues and union issues and political issues um mm -hmm. poverty and so on a are you still hopeful and why <laughs> <laughs> in in thirty seconds or less, Crystal. In thirty seconds yeah. or less. <laughs> Kidding. Uh, you, <laughs> we got a couple minutes left. We got a couple minutes. Yeah. Um, but make it good. That's right. <laughs> Give me something quotable. Come on. <laughs> oh, I 
am hopeful. And so sure, call me Pollyanna if you want. But I'm hopeful because I feel at the core of who we are uh, to, you know, to draw on Viktor Frankl a little bit, there's mm. always going to be, there's always going to be that, that search and that quest for meaning and no search that's ever done in, you know, in, in, in the search of good. I don't think, I don't think there can be disappointment. I love wins all the time. <laughs> love will always win. And um, it doesn't negate the things that are happening. Uh, and it's, and it's horrible. And um, with the, sadly, with the, with the rise of, of all our accessibility to things, I know that it also gives the rise for evil to, you know, and just hurt people will hurt other people. And that's why I think it's just all the more important for us to remember that we decide what we're going to believe, because if we actually are willing to change that belief and to, um, to create the future that we want for ourselves, not so much in terms of like, I want to have X number of children and I want to do this and this and this, because those things are, are, you know, largely undetermined. But if we, if we truly are willing to determine who we are going to become, then we do hold a stake in that. And I Mm -hmm. think we can hold, we can, we can help to sway that. And um, I don't think we'll ever completely rid the world of the evils, but we can definitely make a dent in it if we're willing to. If we're willing to have the courage to try. So I don't know if you're, I'm old enough to know that, that, that change is possible. How's Mm -hmm. that for a quote? Because I have a friend who's older than me who thinks that change is just complete nonsense, right? It's, you know, old, can't teach old, uh, I mean, he's so bought into this idea that you just can't change. And I think sometimes it's just a way of absolving yourself of personal responsibility. (laughs) And I would say that directly to his face and laugh at at the same time. And I think on some level he would agree, but. Mm -hmm. You know, our kids are growing up, this this generation or in the last 20 years, the whole bottled water, environmental, ecology yeah. of commerce, CSR-like attitude or ethos or values that I yeah. certainly didn't grow up with. Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't that a reason to be hopeful? I mean, in the sense that, that, that it's becoming a part of the conversation. Because I guess while you were just chatting about that, I mean... I'm with you, man. I'm, I'm idealistic. I, I call it, you know, hopeful cynic. I want to change the world. I, I think mm-hmm. it is changing, but you know, you've got the reality of the, the horror out there and what isn't working, you know, in humanity's yeah. favor, if yeah. you will. And yet you look and you go, well, hang on a second here. My kids are talking about things in a way that I never did, you know, yeah. in, 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 in a social justice, like they're growing up with me to we, they're growing up with this idea of water and sanitation problems on the other side of the world that right. I never knew existed. Right. You know, and I, I, I think that's reason to be hopeful. I think that's I reason think so to get too. excited, you know? Yep, yep. I think so, too. And I, and I feel that there is um, the, the one gain that we have in, like, in our generations and beyond is that there's the ability to formulate um, strategies around known things now. Mm, so, mm-hmm. you know, like, we can, uh, there's, now that we understand why there is, a, for example, a water crisis, then that that gives us the work a framework to work within to to be able to think strategically and innovatively around what I can do right. to make a difference in that. And that maybe you know that that maybe to some degree because we also live in a you know such a prolific age of knowledge and um, that that our that the coming generations are growing up with that and it's exciting to think about um, about what's possible and. It's also exciting to think about what's possible for us to nurture in that now mm-hmm. in in our lifetime as well because there's there's a great and awesome and beautiful responsibility that we have to be able to nurture that in ourselves and in you know those who are coming behind us. 
I love I love the idea of uh, well I mean we just we've talked about so much today it's we really are going to have to do a part two it's clear it's taken us a <laughs> heck of a long time to get to get to this interview but the idea that love wins is just uh, I think a pretty nice nice way to end so I'm going to mm-hmm. call back to that uh, Crystal Earl your brilliance uh, correct me if I get anything wrong here mm-hmm. Crystal your brilliance unlimited dot com Check out her website there. She's got a book called Resonate uh, about, hang on, let's see if I can get the subtitle. We can change the stories we tell ourselves. Um, she's on all over social media. So, Oh, and your blog. Tell us real quick about your blog. Oh, yeah. yeah. On Tuesdays, I have I have a blog called the Sweet Tuesday Blog. Nice. Um, and so there I talk um, in, uh, it's mostly, it's mostly, based on uh, my own experience and stories that I'm sharing. But um, every, every week I share um, strategies and ways that we can, um, in particular, uh, find confidence and courage to mm, continue nice. to change our stories. So, and actually on my site, um, you can let your, let, let your listeners know or the people listening today, there, I have a free video e-course, and it's called nice. Find Your Brave. And um, they can sign up on, this, on my site. And it's just a simple but quick um, e-course that gives uh, listeners and uh, community members strategies for how they can begin to find their their points of courage to make the decisions and and change their stories. Fantastic. I'll put a link in your bio as Mm -hmm. well online. Crystal, thanks a lot for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thanks. 